What's up, founders, and welcome back to the In Demand podcast, where we talk all about how to reach your very first 1 million in ARR. I'm your host, Asia Arangio, and I'm the founder of Demand Maven, where we work with early stage SaaS companies on reaching their very first growth milestones. Let's do this. Hey, folks, Asia here. I just wanted to drop in and give you some quick context before you listen to the rest of this episode. Just a couple of just a couple of quick notes. So this was recorded live on the conference floor of SASDOC in Dublin this past October. And I spoke at SASDOC, so I gave a talk about growth KPIs and um, different metrics that you can use to understand where you're at in terms of your growth journey. But I also had the absolute wonderful pleasure of interviewing Anjali Mullins, the Chief Commercial Officer of Resourceify, live at SASDOC. And this was it was it was probably one of my favorite things that I did at the conference. Um, of course, speaking is always great, but I also really enjoyed having uh, such a such an interesting chat with Angeli. We covered many different topics, ranging from how to think about uh, globalization, uh, targeting organizations in, and creating a global strategy for your SaaS business. But then we also share some stories about being a woman in tech, and there's a few just really actionable things that you can use and take away to apply to your own business. But then also, of course, one of the best things about this is sharing stories. And I really, really, really hope that there's something in here for you. But above all, thank you so much to Anjali for trusting me (laughs) throughout the process. And then also uh, for joining me on the podcast. And then also thank you of course, to SASDOC for this incredible content opportunity. So thanks to you all. And yeah, I'm I'm just super pumped to share this. I, I really hope you enjoy it. I know it it breaks the typical format a little bit. I don't usually take on guests, but this was special. So I just, I really wanted to share. And then of course, if you like my style of interviewing, <laughs> then let me know. You know, I'm I'm certainly open to having the occasional guest here and there. And I've actually been tossing around another idea for a separate podcast outside of In Demand that is much more focused on taking guests. So if you like my style, if you if you felt like you you got something out of this type of type of interview, let me know and we'll we'll do more of them. But without further ado, we're gonna jump into the content. And Angeli does give an introduction of herself. So I'll let her take it from here. But thanks again for listening and I really hope you enjoy kind of neat like with the live podcast and we're in the middle of this big room with all this energy and yeah, yeah. and here we are I remember <laughs> I remember the first time I came to SAS Talk, there was a live podcast happening and and everyone had the headphones on I remember walking by and being like what's happening what this is really cool like what is happening and I and at first I thought I don't know what I thought but someone explained to me later that it was a live podcast and I was like that is so cool. It is. It's really, really cool. That is so cool. I never, like, I never would have thought of a live podcast in the middle of it all with, yeah. like, the headphones and the thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's cool. It's nice. And it's just the energy, I think, which is really nice. Yeah. So, yeah. And just to have everybody here. So I guess we're going to wait and see on yeah. the crowd. But um, the speeches so far have been amazing. Lots of great topics. A lot of topics this year, all about, of course, the obvious scaling one to hundred million you had to get it but really tactical which is nice um, this morning we had a talk women of SAS yeah all about the challenges that women face in SAS so I thought that was really mm. nice and actually the SAS stock folk they're like 
who's that circle? Because we literally made like a spirit circle. And like, who's that circle of women? And we're like, women of sass. So it was really great. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so everyone, my name is Asia Rangio, and I'm the CEO and founder of Demand Maven, and I run the In Demand podcast, where we talk all about how to get in demand and stay in demand. And I have the lovely Anjali with me today. We are recording live on day two, or I guess technically day three of SaaS Talk. Yeah, the last day of SaaS Talk. Anjali, please, I, uh, please tell us about yourself. Thank you, and thanks for having me. So I'm Angeli Mullins. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at Resourceify. We are a digital waste and recycling management company. We promote sustainability and circularity, so some of the hot topics out there. And if you guys at the SaaS.com conference, if you have your coffees, your beers, whatever you have, and you throw it away, think of us, because every single day we impact your lives. Yeah. Circularity. Okay, so I'm familiar with sustainability, but what does circularity mean? Circularity means a circular economy. So literally you have, mm. think of a phone or in the case of what we do, medical devices, you actually mm. take part of those materials back and you make it into something else. And that's what promotes a circular economy. So it's the whole idea of circularity. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, yeah. Um, and how long has Resourceify, like, how, like when did it start? Mm-hmm. And um, how long have you been with Resourceify? Yeah, so it started in 2018. So the mm-hmm. CEO, Gary Lewis, and the co-founder, Felix Heimreisi, um, you know, they started it because they saw a need in mm-hmm. this industry. So waste management and recycling, the industry is 97% not digitized. We're in 2023 and they're still using phones and fax machines. Yeah. It's really, really crazy. So Mm. we decided to make a digital platform and they did a great job doing it. I'm actually very new to the company. I've only been with the company for two months. I can't even believe it. It's felt like two years, but only two months. (laughs) And there's been so much that's happened. Uh, Last month we closed a 14 million series A and especially in this economy, an amazing feat to do. And it really talks about the credibility and the strength and the health of the business. So mm. really exciting times. Yeah. Congratulations on the round. Um, so I'm so curious. So raising $14 million, um, what would you say, in your opinion, are some of the reasons or the aspects of Resourceify that made it super attractive for investors to invest in? So number one, we are solving a problem that touches every single person. Mm. Waste. So it was actually interesting for me when I first joined the company. I don't know if you guys knew, 70% of the waste in Europe does not come from individual households. It comes from companies. Hmm. It's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, And a lot of the waste that cannot be recycled, it's due to incorrect sorting. So the Hmm. next time you're walking down the street and you see those recycling bins, the three bins, think about the sorting. Then make sure that you do it correctly. So this is an industry that is ripe for disruption. It's something that will help the economy. It's right in line with the United Nations, you know, goals for 2030, sustainable mm. cities and living environments. So these are the things that attract investors. And we have really solid clients. Yeah. Frankfurt Airport, mm-hmm. McDonald's, Johnson & Johnson. So these are the kind of things, of course, investors like to see. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, can, um, I vibe a lot with the concept of the, the sorting piece. Uh, I think, so Europe and Asia in general are way better at sorting. Um, America, however, we have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to <laughs> we do. We have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So we, we chatted uh, yesterday and one of the things that you mentioned was um, you have some interesting stories from your previous roles. And I'd, I'd love to like, so how did, how did you, like, what did you do before Resourceify yeah. and like, how did you get here? You know, I actually started in sales, managing sales teams for the big finance houses. And if any of you guys listening have seen that movie, Wolf of Wall Street, I can definitely tell you that that is true. Um, I used to work for Lehman Brothers um, out of Chicago. 
yeah. and managed sales team, Chicago, London, and Tokyo. And I can tell you that those stories are true. Um, so was the woman, and the only woman many times in a large group of men, then decided to switch more into go-to-market international expansion and led the international expansion division at Amazon, then moved forward and helped launch um, you know, SaaS uh, for Intuit, accounting uh, software called QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. um, so in 2014, then moved to GoDaddy, helped them go international, helped them mm -hmm. launch uh, basically their website building product called GoDaddy Go Central, competes with Squarespace, Wix, these kinds of products. We IPO'd the company in 2015. Um, then moved to Australia, so Melbourne, Australia. So if you guys are international, have been to Melbourne. Fantastic food in Melbourne, also fantastic texting. Worked for an education tech company called Crimson and helped them scale. Then moved to Germany, so I live in Berlin now. Uh, worked for a scale-up called Latana, B2B MarTech, and helped them raise their 36 million Euro Series B. And now I'm at Resourceify, which I yeah. absolutely love this company. Um, but I have had a very, very journey throughout many different industries and many different markets. Um, yeah, quite the ride. Yeah, and highly decorated, it sounds like as well. Awesome, okay. Um, oh, you said so many things that I want to bookmark and like get back to. Uh, we're absolutely going to talk about women in leadership. Um, but first, I, so you have a very unique perspective, I feel like, um, both from uh, like working like on the sales side and then um, now in like the commercial revenue space. And I, I think a question that many SaaS companies, especially SaaS founders, have is going global. When does that happen? What does that look like? Um, in your opinion, when is a company ready to start thinking about global markets, global yeah. industry? So I'll just preface that with you're talking to an American. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Europeans definitely have a different view on this, but I think it's mm. important to call out that view. In America, we are taught in business to go global from day one. Mm. You are not just an American company. You are a global company. You're going to conquer the world. And everybody, I think, has heard that story. What I've learned, though, living in Europe is they tend to focus just on one singular country or Europe as a whole and tend to not think globally. There can be some advantages because the perfection of a pursuit or the perfection of a business model, but some disadvantages. I feel like a lot of European companies sometimes miss the boat and miss mm -hmm. that opportunity window to really, uh, for example, I live in Berlin and a lot of German companies think they just want to dominate Germany. Yeah. And anyone listening to this podcast that is from Germany or deals with German companies understands that. But then sometimes when they scale, Germany may or may not be their primary market moving forward at the advanced stages of their scaling journey. So it's something to think about now. Yeah. So um, mm. going global is about the thought and the strategy and what are the product moves that you have to make? What are the personnel moves that you have to make? What are the go-to-market moves, frankly, that you need to make? And I, I absolutely 100% recommend that you do them as early as possible or at least think about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's so interesting. I, um, I actually have a few clients that are, um, some are in Italy, some are UK-based, and some 100% have that mindset of like, going global, and then some are just starting. Like, they're just starting to think, like, oh, you know, like, we've cornered the market in Italy. What if we went to America, or what if we went to the UK, or, like, how, and how do we do that? One of the things that comes up so much is um, uh, there's, like, a hesitation or a fear of, what like what if other countries don't get what we do? How do you how do you think about that? How do you navigate that? So it's interesting because I just did a, a speech on building your power brand. It really starts with the brand and your essence and what you believe. Yeah. And a lot of companies when they go to market, it's about oh our price or our positioning or our product features. And everyone out here at SaaS Stock has seen those web pages of our software is better than our competitor's software. And there's that ridiculous 
checkbox sheet with <laughs> our features are better than their features. And that's a completely wrong way to think about it. It's what do we believe? What's our ethos? Mm. People buy what you believe. They don't buy what you sell. Yep. And so I think that's the key differentiator. And so it doesn't matter if you're in Italy, if you're in Germany, if you're in the UK, people will buy into what you believe and you can mm. use that to expand internationally. But it's interesting because it's the one thing that companies miss. They don't think about it first. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. It's also, it's a really good callback to, um, uh, to anyone who attended April Dunford's talk um, yesterday morning. Um, she talked about the wind tunnel of features and how every SaaS company and software company, we're all doing the same thing. It's like, you know, features, features, features. Um, and, and we're not carving the space out and saying, like, if you believe in these things, if you value these things, then this is what you should be thinking about, or like, you should choose this solution. Um, what are some of the pitfalls of going global? Ooh, um, not understanding the buying behavior of the audience in the particular country. This actually happens mm. since we're in Europe. I'll say from the European perspective, this happens with European companies when they want to enter the United States. Yeah. And in mm. Europe, I'll say more mainland Europe, companies can move slower and mm. they are slower adopters of particular products and services. America is different. They move really, really fast and they are new adopters. So not being able to flip and understand that behavior can be a death nail. Yeah. Um, but just making sure that you do understand and you do your proper research, you'll be fine. But I do see um, N26, actually, the bank mm. in Germany was a very good example of this, where they wanted to go to the United States. Um, their product is great. However, a lot of the neo banks in the United States are five years ahead of where they are. So when they yeah. launched in the United States, they thought that they were so wonderful. And then they learned really fast that they're at a different scale in their journey. Yeah. I imagine research plays into this, uh, like doing customer discovery, doing customer development. Like these are the processes that help. Um, what else? Is there anything else tactical that uh, like to do to be thinking about how do you even think about entering global markets like this? Talk to customers in those markets. I know it sounds very conventional, but the tried and true wisdom, the golden rule is the golden rule for a reason. Talk to your customers and talk to them in the different markets that you're looking to enter. Yeah. So, for example, at my current company, we're looking at the possibility of expanding into different markets. And we've done kind of the high-level research, but we just had a board meeting and it was just like, okay, how many clients have we talked to? So it's, you know, now it's time to walk the walk and start to talk to those clients. And it's, it's the most simple thing on the planet that people don't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh, it's so true. Um, I think that there's a stat that's, uh, it came actually from uh, Patrick Campbell and from ProfitWell, uh, but it's, it's the stat that says uh, teams who conduct 10 or more interviews per month will see something crazy. It was like, I don't know, 5x, 10x growth. Uh, far, like they will outpace their competitors. Mm -hmm. I might be misquoting that, but I do know that it was something, like it was something wild. Like if you just, you know, do this one thing, that alone will like impact how you think about growth. And it's, it's a thing that only 10% of companies will actually reasonably do. Um, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So I love this. Um, so you've, you've had, <laughs> you've had a, an incredible trajectory. Um, and so when you think about Resourceify, so what's next for Resourceify? Like, how are you guys thinking about growth? Like, and, and like, where are you at in that growth journey? So we're really at the beginning. We closed our Series A last month. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a great ride on product market fit. We've had a lot of fantastic clients. So we're a 60-person company, and we have clients like McDonald's and Johnson & Johnson and Frankfurt Airport, which is amazing. But now we're on this pace of circularity, and circularity is the name of the game. Yeah. So in the next 10 years, I'm sure everyone listening you know, understands sustainability, ESG, 
this is really the space that's moving forward. There's a lot of companies popping up now that will help you track your carbon credits and all of this. So for us, it's about how do we expand this circular economy? How do we expand mm. the circularity offering even more? Mm -hmm. So every, every company wants to scale and grow revenue, but for us, it's about making the impact while we do it. Mm. In our company, we can actually measure the hundreds of thousands of tons of waste that we've helped a particular client move and the CO2 impact of that waste. Yeah. So how do we do that on a grander scale? Mm -hmm. What does, and this might, this might sound like a really like simple question, but um, what does the work look like? like? Like when you think about how the team is structured and the projects that they're taking on, like how would you describe that work? Um, I would describe it as full force ahead, doing everything at once, <laughs> making sure that the new product offerings and the additional product features that we're building are matching the growth for five years out mm -hmm. from now which I think two to three years ago, many scale-ups were not doing that. They were just looking at one to two quarters ahead. Now with this stable and predictable revenue growth that everybody is looking for, we now have this five-year plan and this five-year trajectory. Yeah. So how do you get the short-term revenue results, but also still do that long-term growth? And we only have 60 people. So yeah. it's not a situation where we have huge amounts of resources. So it's everyone splitting their work in the time of the day or the time of the week and figuring out, okay, these two days, it's about hitting these particular metrics and goals. These two days, it's about the longer growth and how do we do that? So it's a lot. It's, it really is a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine at this stage, um, you know, you just closed your round. It's drinking from the fire hose. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're probably hiring. I'm sure there's all kinds of like, okay, like what are the, like, what do we tactically need to execute? And it's just full steam ahead. <laughs> 100%. So it's sprinting. Yeah. It really is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. Um, okay, so you said something earlier that I wanted also to, to call back to as well, and it was uh, you know, being, being the only uh, woman leader in the room, often uh, in, in, I believe, in some roles, previous roles. Um, I actually can't remember if you mentioned it was current as well, but um, tell, me, like, tell me more about, about your experience being the only woman uh, in, in the room. Very long. How much time do we have? <laughs> Very long. Um, you know, when I started my career, I'll, I'll say my tech career at Amazon, I worked in the transportation and logistics department. Mm -hmm. So I, one of the most male-dominated departments. And for those of you listening, it's the same department that does the prime air, all of that. So hardcore logistics guys. And I was one of the only female leaders in a department of 2,000 people. So that is really kind of trial by fire. As you go through the ranks of leadership, I would say that the number of women gets less and less, which is very disappointing. So a lot of times you end up only being the only female leader in the room, um, and myself also being a biracial person, the only female and the only biracial person um, you know, in the room as well. And so it's just something that I've gotten used to, but I think on a whole we shouldn't have to be right. used to that. I'm very lucky that at my current company, Resourceify, we have two female C-level leaders, so myself and then also our fabulous Chief Operations Officer, Marie. So it's really nice to see we actually have a 50-50 split between men and women. But I would say that at Resourceify, that's the exception, um, not the norm within SaaS companies. Yeah. So uh, there's still a far way to go. And there's a lot of data out there that shows that female-led companies, whether it's a CEO or founder, or also C-level or executive positions, those companies do better. And it's not just anecdotally. There's a lot of facts behind it. They, they are more profitable. They build more revenue. 
Yeah, yeah. As as someone, uh, so uh, from from my own personal experience, I also have often been um, a couple times actually where I was the only woman on the team and also only woman in the whole company uh, a few times. Um, my business now is primarily women, uh, but I served on the board of Moz, the first SEO platform in uh, you know to date. And uh, at least to my knowledge, at least. And um, when, so I, when, when Rand Fishkin stepped off the board, I actually took his seat. And I was surprised that we were actually majority women, majority women board. It's like very rare, almost unheard of. And uh, it was, it was cool. And I, and I didn't realize how critical that was at the time. It's it just so rare. I'd love to hear, so what, what guidance or advice do you have to women who are in uh, they're they're either the only one on the team or maybe possibly even the only one in the room? My advice is that inner strength, yeah. and this is something that they don't teach you in business school. It's something they really don't teach in any school. But you have to have the inner strength to persevere, to overcome the adversity that comes your way. And I think this goes for men as well. So you men that are listening, the inner strength as well. It's, it's not that outside, I'm so tough, I can handle anything. It's that inside quiet resilience to keep going no matter what life or business throws at your way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you, uh, totally okay if no, are there any stories that you can tell? Uh, oh, there's uh, tons. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have, so I think the one I was telling you um, about previously is I was you know, hiring a guy for a particular role and then met him at the door of the office and he thought I was the secretary and yep. he told me to go get his coffee and so I actually did. I got his coffee. Do you want any milk with that? Okay. And then I'm leading him to the room and he sits down. He's like, oh, so when's the hiring manager coming in? I said, you're talking to her. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me and just sat down very quietly. And I'm like, okay, now that that's out of the way. Yep. Um, you know, all kinds of things <laughs> like that. I've had people who I've spoken to on the phone or if it's on a video and they don't see my face and they just hear my voice. And then I show up in the room and I had one guy, this was a couple of years ago. And he's like, oh, I thought you were white. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, all kinds of misconceptions and preconceptions. I've had situations where I've sat in an executive leadership meeting and the CEO would ask me something and I would give a data-driven response. And then he would look to the man sitting next to me and say, well, is that correct? <laughs> so wow. it's really, you know, just the kinds of different things I've had. Um, not my current board. My current board is fabulous. But I've had previous boards where board members, they would ask me, well, how tough are you? And I was like, well, why are you asking me that? And they said, well, your hair and you look so soft and all of this. And I said, <laughs> you do not judge a book by its cover. And if I was a man, would you ask that same question? Yeah. So there's just tons of misconceptions. I'll also say for any of the men listening, it can go the reverse direction as well. So men who are, I would say, heart-centered and are caring and are kind, I don't think that that's appreciated enough in business because they expect men to always be strong and also with women. They expect women to be the soft and caring ones. And if we come across as strong, then you're labeled as too aggressive or the almighty words of pushy or whichever words that are being used these days. Um, and then men are labeled as weak. So I think it goes the other way for men too. And we have to support um, the men and support each other. And it's also about having, I call complementary leadership skills because every single person, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, we all have qualities, we all have attributes, we all have strengths, and it's about unifying those strengths together to create a stronger leadership team. Yeah, I, I think also, too, there's, especially in the SaaS and the software world, um, uh, you know, predominantly male, um, women get 2% of VC funding, uh, and, and women of color even less. 
a fraction of a fraction, which is even smaller. Um, I, but I, I think that there's a, a very large, uh, there's a high value placed on what, you know, masculine versus feminine energy. Masculine, you know, like you can't, uh, you, you have to demand. Um, it's very, you know, like strong-fisted. And anything maybe more intuitive or maybe more, um, soft is not quite, quite the word I want to use, but uh, anything that's not, so, anything that does not feel like overly masculine mm-hmm. is almost, I don't, I don't want to say threatening, but just not understood. Like it's, so if you present maybe more feminine, um, whether, you know, no matter what gender you are, it might not translate in the same way. And it's this really weird gap that happens. Well, I don't know how weird it is. It's because look at who is in the VC and the PE firms. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So if you only have one type of persona in VC and PE firms, then you're only going to have one type of thought. Yeah. And so this is why I know all of us are representing today different companies, but we also have to look to the investor pool and let's get diversity in the investor pool and diversity of thought and diversity of background. Yeah. I, I vibed so much with the story that you told. Uh, so I had a similar experience. This was, this was years ago, but um, I remember I was in the process of hiring a, a consultant and this particular consultant was, was supposed to help us with um, positioning and messaging, and this was before April Dunford gave us the gift of positioning. Uh, but he, I'll never forget, he, um, he comes into the room. He doesn't realize that I'm the one hiring him. Uh, he thinks my boss is. And uh, he looks to me and he's like, oh, can you, can you take notes? And then he turns to my boss and he gives the presentation. And my boss at the end was like, I mean, that, that was a great presentation, but she's actually the one who's buying this. And I was like, yeah, the chick you told to take notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Needless to say, he did not get the job. Yeah. Um, but that kind of thing happens. It happens. And it's so cringe when it does, uh, but, but it happens. So don't be, don't be that guy if you're, if you're a guy. Um, and yeah. So one of the last questions I have uh, would just be, when, what guidance would you have for male founders, mm-hmm. uh, male investors, mm-hmm. on how, how to think about diversifying their pool that they have? You know, it actually kind of goes back to the hiring process. And I actually do this myself, so I don't actually think it's a male or female thing. I think that we're human beings and we all have biases based off of where you grew up or, you know, what our situation is. So the next time you're in your recruitment tools or you have CVs, whether it's physical or digital, cover up the name, cover up the picture. Just look at the skills and everything else is there. Mm. This is what I try to do. Because if you look at someone, everyone has a bias. I'm sure we maybe we've ran into somebody that, oh my God, this person reminds me of that person. And I had a bad experience with that. I mean, it has no correlation whatsoever, but we've had those kind of experiences. Yep. Humans tend to hire people in that are like them. And so it makes it very difficult as a human being to diversify things, which is why you want to take the name, you want to take the picture you know, out of it and just look at the skills. And I think anyone who has a last name that is complicated to pronounce can probably understand this feeling. Absolutely. So this is what I would say. Also, as a hiring manager, as an executive, do your best to hire people who have the opposite opinion that you do. Because when you hire someone like that, it shows the rest of the company that challenging you as an executive is okay. Mm-hmm. And it puts trust and authenticity into your company. And once you have that, then starts to sprout the diversification of ideas and thought. And that's really what you want. If you have everyone as an executive telling you, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, you've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the... Uh, Actually, might have one last question. Um, 
James Mays, uh, some of you might know him from Mind the Product. Uh, he is now starting his new venture, and um, it is called Rodeo. So he is quite literally, you know, getting back on the horse again so quickly. But one of the things that he said, I was at was dinner with him last night. One of the things that he said that I thought was just so, uh, like, it, like it, it was awesome. But he he said, I need to surround my myself with people who don't look like me and don't think like me. And that's actually why he hired two people of color to be on his board. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, they, they, are com- they are just completely different than, than uh, how, like they come from a completely different world of how I think. And he was like, I need that diversity of thought and of experience. And um, I just thought that was so, like, like, yes, like we need more, we need more people like James Mays. Yeah, um, absolutely. And also, yeah, I mean, he was just like, it, it's, my company is run by, you know, by three white dudes. Like we've got a, it can't just all, you know, be us. So I thought it was exactly. cool. But. No, it's very cool. And it's something to take with us. And it's something that's going to become even more prevalent in the future. I mean, we have the new generations coming up. I mean, look at this room today. Tons of people from every single, you know, place that you can imagine and every, all different experiences. And I think yeah. that's important that it needs to happen on the executive level as well. Absolutely. And I think there's more work that needs to be done there. So. Especially, especially since I feel like Gen Z is taking no prisoners. So Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was absolutely wonderful. I hope the crowd enjoyed this chat as well. Um, how can we keep in touch with you? Where can we find you? Yes. What are you looking for? LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is kind of the place. So, Angelie Mullins, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all kinds of different podcasts there. Um, and you can find me here at Sastock over here. So happy to answer any questions. And thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. To learn more about how to reach your growth goals for your SaaS business, head on over to demandmaven.io. You'll find all kinds of free resources, articles, and content. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you on the next one.